Hey y'all, this is Candle, the host of the Lighting Up Real Estate Podcast. Before we get into this next incredible episode, are you looking for a career change? Have you considered a career in real estate? Well, if you answered yes to both questions, the solution is CandleRealEstateAcademy.com. This is a licensed online real estate education platform created just for you. You can take the courses that are required to become a real estate agent or even a mortgage lender. Just choose the state where you want to be licensed. So hit the pause button now and go on over to CandleRealEstateAcademy.com and get started today. Listening to Lighting Up Real Estate with your host, Candle Lockett. Episode 60 Creative Ways Investors Are Buying in This Market. As always, the goal of this show is to shine a light on experts, strategies, systems, and ideas to help grow your real estate business. And on the show today, I have Kevin Jefferson, a mortgage lender in Atlanta, Georgia. When you listen to this episode, you are going to be hit with so many strategies and ideas that are going to be a game changer. If you are trying to purchase a home in 2023, to live in, or even just to invest in 2023, this is a game changer. In this conversation, you're going to learn about, of course, Kevin's outlook on the current real estate market and these four game-changing hacks that blew my mind, and I'm still thinking about them, you definitely have to listen to. This will change the game for you as a consumer and wanting to purchase real estate for whatever strategy you're trying to do, whether it's home ownership, whether it's investing, you've got to listen to these four hacks. But not only just talking about the four hacks, we also talk about this one game changer to where you can literally, using a product from a lender, you can become a homeowner and a real estate investor in one closing. You got to listen to it. And I said that correctly. (laughs) You just got to listen to this to understand what he is talking about. And I'm just still blown away because I had no idea this even existed. But then too, even just talking to him as a lender, there is a shortage of minority lenders in this industry. And we have a great conversation about it. So if you're thinking even about becoming a lender in real estate, listen to this conversation. We talk about his career the comparison, because he also has a real estate license in, I think, Delaware. And we talk about the difference between both careers, the pros and the cons. But ultimately, if you're thinking about like, what does a lender do? What does their day-to-day look like? How much money do they make? You know, I ask those questions (laughs) and it's pretty good responses from Kevin. He's completely transparent. And I think it's something that you might want to listen to if you're thinking about a career, but you need to listen to it all together. If you have already um, started listening to this, continue to the end because it is a game changer with the information that he shared. And he was just so giving. I have a lot of great giving guests. Kevin is definitely on that list. He gave a lot. And this is definitely going to help our community with homeownership and real estate investing. This was a good one. So go ahead and get your paper and pen and let's get started. Kevin, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. (laughs) It's about time. This has been in the works for about a year. And then I went on, of course, a hiatus and now I'm back. (laughs) So, of course, I was like, Kevin, you got to get on the podcast and you are finally here so we can talk about. And this is the perfect timing because we've got to talk about this current market right now with you being a lender. 
Um, I definitely want to have a conversation about what's going on right now in this current market in the, in the first quarter of 2023, of course, for buyers, for investors, what the forecast is going to be for this year, which is going to be kind of interesting. We're going to have a great conversation. Okay. So let's talk about one. You are a lender. How did you even get into the lending business and how is your business going right now? All right. So let's start how I got into lending. Um, Let's circle back to 2004. I became a a realtor. Okay. And um, so that, that was my introduction to real estate as a Mm -hmm. real, real estate agent. Um, 2015, I moved to Georgia uh, from Delaware. And when we were coming, we're looking to relocate to Georgia, uh, we had reached out to a realtor online. Um, she introduced us to two of her, three of her preferred lenders and only one called back. So we talked to him, wow. he asked questions and uh, he was like, hey, had you ever thought about getting into mortgages? And I said, actually I had. Uh, it had crossed my mind, but where I was from was a small area. I had mm-hmm. been a realtor for 11, 12 years, and people knew me as a realtor. So reinventing myself at home would have been tough. You know, agents would have mm-hmm. known me as a realtor, afraid I'm going to take right. a business. So um, <laughs> when I came to Georgia, um, I, I thought about an interview with him. I talked to him. And at the time, I was still on the fence. This is October 2015. Mm-hmm. I got my kids in daycare, pre-K. My wife, I mean, actually, we came to Georgia with no jobs. Wow. So, um, yeah, walk of faith, leap of faith. And my wife got a job within two weeks of moving here. Um, got my grandmother situated with doctors and stuff because she came with us. So then mm-hmm. I could focus on me. Okay. Um, so if you're listening, no, I didn't have a big bag, but I did have uh, listings and properties I managed back in Delaware, and I can do it from a distance because I had a small team, right? Okay. I'm doing it long enough, I knew how to navigate without being around. So I'm here in Georgia, and actually, I say, you know what? Let me put me on hold and apply for jobs so I can have a steady income to take care of my family, and after two weeks yeah that wasn't working to fill out an application just for them to ask for my resume and it was mm-hmm. taking eight hours and i was like i told her when she came home one day i said look i'm going back into real estate we're gonna get it <laughs> so it was trying to decide whether it was going to be lending or as a realtor and i said you know what i'm gonna do the lending thing so i went november 12, 13th, I took a crash course uh, for mortgages, uh, passed it, went to, um, it was December 5th, went to UGA to take my uh, state test, passed it, um, and then I let the holidays and stuff go by and started, you know, I could have went with the one company, and I decided to see what else was out there, interviewed with a couple companies, well, it was hard trying to get a position. So what I ended up doing was same thing. Wife came home for work. I said, filling out these applications online and asking for the resume. Nobody's calling me. So Mm -hmm. I picked out four. I I, I looked for four companies besides the one that I knew, right? I knew I could go there, picked out four companies, 
wrote my resume, tailored my um, cover letter, suited up, booted up, and walked in and try to speak to branch managers. Of course, the, the gatekeeper's like, well, they usually don't take walk-ins. And I was like, is he or she here? Right. And she went in the back and I thought they were just playing like, oh yeah, we'll go mm -hmm. see. I like someone's here when well, a guy came out. Each one that I spoke to said, you're the type of person I would want to hire because you walked into the office ready to work. And one of them told me, he said, even though we have the online platform, I don't even look at people online. It's just there. So I narrowed it down to a couple of companies and I decided to go at the initial guy that I spoke with. It came down to mm -hmm. actually Wells Fargo and a company called Homestar. They were both waiting to get my information and get my laptops and stuff together. Of course, I told my wife, I was like, man, listen, this is crazy. Mm -hmm. So I waited. I told her, I said, whoever calls me first, that's who I'm going with. They called the same day. Wow. But Homestar had called earlier. So I went with okay. them and I told the guy from Wells Fargo, thank you for the opportunity, but I needed to move and I wasn't sure if you were going to call. I've been waiting since XYZ date. So that's how I got into lending. It's just moving, wow. switching locations, uh -huh. and it was thrown out to me uh, as an opportunity, and um, I took it. I took it. Okay, so you're the first realtor slash lender I've had on the podcast, and I've always been curious, especially being a realtor and a deal went bad. I'm like, okay, maybe I should try the lending side. What is the difference between these two careers since you've had experience in both? Contrary to what people believe. Um, I think the lender is more important. And I say that because mm -hmm. we do a lot of work on the background. The agents don't know. Right. Um, to make it work. To make it work. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of conversations. And so if you're a realtor and you're listening, I'm not throwing any shade. You guys work extremely hard to help us get leads and to get agents. I mean, to get buyers mm -hmm. into properties. You do. But the things that we deal with on the back end that sometimes we can't even have, we don't even have that conversation with you. Right. You know, we're in the back. Yes, we're sitting at a desk typically, mm -hmm. but sometimes there's fighting with underwriters. You know, I've I've been in situations where underwriter has said no. And I said, that's not my interpretation of the guidelines. Well, that's my interpretation. OK, I'm calling HUD. I wow. call HUD. I got the head of underwriting to get on the phone with me and HUD. Mm -hmm. Well, excuse me, my ops manager and HUD to find out that my interpretation of the FHA guideline was correct. Wow. Is this we, with people of color? Or is this just anybody? I'm just curious. Uh, wow. So I just had to ask. I mean, I'm learning about this. Stuff. This was, that's a good question. This particular situation was a person of color right mm -hmm. and the seller was white mm -hmm. and the seller had it was a weird dynamic i, I want to dive into this okay. the seller was white the buyer's agent was white the listing agent was black the no the listing agent was white the seller was white but they had a um black foster child 
So because, okay. yep. So because of the situation, the white seller was trying to mm -hmm. say it was discrimination towards the buyer because she wanted wow. to sell the property. In essence, it wasn't. Mm -hmm. The problem was that the buyer, the seller, mm -hmm. had refinanced the property and now they're going to sell it. And when you refinance a property, you're saying I'm staying in this property for X amount of time. My intention Correct. is not to sell. Mm -hmm. But my fight was they have a legitimate reason why they're moving. Now, I'm fighting for the seller, too, but she doesn't see that way. Okay. I'm fighting to say their family has increased and they need to leave where they're at to go to a larger property, which mm -hmm. makes sense because now they have a foster child. Correct. So our underwriters didn't see it that way. I talked to HUD multiple times um, to get it going, but it wasn't necessarily just that situation. It was because the FHA case number was not properly um, done by the previous lender. So it really falls back on the previous lender mm -hmm. who is on the other end with the um, buyer's agent, the seller's agent, say, seller saying mm -hmm. that, oh, we could have got this done. But it was your error in the beginning that has us in that situation. Wow. So I said all that to say mm -hmm. those are things that we fight. And you can't, I can't you explain can't that, that to him. Right. You can't share it and you can't explain that to a buyer to get him or her to understand. Mm -hmm. The seller isn't going to understand. I had a, I had a pretty cool relationship uh, with the buyer's agent. We had done some deals together. And ironically, she knew I was telling the truth because she used to work for HUD. So she had reached out to her uh, past supervisor to see if there was a way we could expedite it. And okay. it was just kind of hard. Mind you, this is during COVID. So people wow. weren't in the office. They were working from home. So they mm -hmm. had to get to people. And you know how it is, Candle. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they're not working. They on the clock, right. <laughs> but they're not working. <laughs> right. So like those are things that we deal with on the back end. It's more. So, so you're putting in more hours as a lender than you were as a realtor. I think, I think, I think equally about the same. Okay. Um, I think equally about the same. Um, I would, I would say about the same amount of time because there's applications that we work on. Mm -hmm. um, you know, example, one of my realtors called me, um, Hey Kevin, I need you to help me save a deal. I talked to the buyer. I talked to the buyer. Mm -hmm. um, that was going to be my next put, question about that. Go ahead. Yeah, she, she has to put in the situ. She has to put in the application. Send me over the documentation. I have something to do. I go, and then nine thirty at night because I'm trying to save a deal for one of my top agents. I'm mm -hmm. working on the application till, you know, as best I can with the information I had to at least prep it until the next right. day. Um, mm -hmm. So like our hours are split up, 
what I have learned is to better control my time. And what that means is all gas, no brakes doesn't work. I did that for the first four years of my career. Mm -hmm. And I looked back and it had, it has affected my sons. Wow. Meaning some of the things that they would have been able to do or I wanted them to do got put on the back burner because I was trying to grow the business. So now I'm playing catch up right now at this moment. Right. Because I'm, um, I'm trying to figure out as a lender, like when I'm a, a realtor and I'm working with clients, I can always put a limit on who I want to work with. You know, I can say, well, I'm not able to do it. I have this going on. I'm going to refer you to another agent. You know, I can decide, okay, I just want five clients this month and I'm good. And just choose who I want to work with if that was how I want to, you know, have my career as a realtor. How does that work with lending when you have this, like you just said, a realtor call and say, hey, I need you to save a deal. Hey, I need you to, you know, get this client qualified so I can get them to, you know, get their first house. Like, it just seems like you would get constant calls or maybe I'm thinking I could be wrong, but how do you create your, your boundaries or parameters around or rules around being a lender? Cause it just seems like it's just constant, just deals coming in that you've got to fix and get to the closing table. So, um, I'm captain save a deal. Okay. Um, is that what you want to be known for? Is that? I don't. Like what you're, okay. okay. I don't, I don't, <laughs> okay. I don't want to, I, I don't mind saving deals. Mm-hmm. Um, twofold we'll get into it so i try to work with people that are going to listen and adhere to the process um a lot of times you get oh well the other lender um could approve me for this and said i need to do this Mm, yeah but they can't close your deal so they could tell you anything i have dealt with that before yeah like they can tell you anything yes I mean, you're not qualified for $600,000 if he can't close the deal. Exactly. And your deal is at $600,000. That right there. We could just shut down this whole interview. That <laughs> That's the you're bar. Not, yeah, you're not qualified. <laughs> they can't close it. <laughs> you're not qualified for it. Yeah. Um, and just, you know, I don't want to be Captain Save a Deal, but I don't mind saving it. And what I ran into, and I lost the relationship from it, but I'm okay with it, right? Mm -hmm. I um, had an agent who would always come to me to save a deal. And I saved it. But you weren't always the first agent, though. That's what I Let's be clear. For for those that are listening, when, when when he's talking about saving a deal, that means that that current buyer was already working with another lender. And that lender, for some reason... It could be experience, it could be time, whatever, or the product that they have does not fit the the buyer's situation. If they cannot qualify that person to buy the house, they're still under contract. And of course, these buyers want that house. So what a realtor will do is call another lender, such as Kevin, who is Captain Save-A-Deal, <laughs> and say, hey, I got a problem. Can you fix this? Because the first lender that I I gave my buyers to, or either the let's be fair, 
the buyers may have already had that lender to begin with. It may not have been the realtor. Right. And they can't close the deal. And we need you to come and save it. So, okay, now you can finish. I just had to explain that. <laughs> so, um, we had that conversation and I said, hey, I've saved everything that you sent me. And see, when you're saving a deal, you have a smaller window of time to yeah, close that deal. You do. And you can't like charge the, more for it either. <laughs> no, you can't. Like example, the one I just told you about, mm -hmm. their contract is up uh, the 15th of this month. Mm -hmm. That's five days from now. And then I get the eight day unilateral that we're going. So that gives okay. me 13, 13 days. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. We can do it. But it's going to be a lot of pushing. Right. Right. So we get less time. So I, I had to. You could have had 30 days to do it. Yeah. Yep. OK, so what do you say when you have when, when you ask that question to the realtor? Like, hey, why do I always have to save it? Why can't I just be the first one that your buyers call? Oh, well, I have a relationship and they pay for some of my marketing. But obviously it's not working ah. if I'm saving the deals. Wow. And, it, and it's not like um, that particular agent wasn't a high producing agent. So they mm -hmm. didn't get a ton of deals. Um, I I told them, hey, look, I'm saving your deals and you're not sending them to me directly. And then the leads that you send me um, mm -hmm. are the hard stuff. And then I know your other lender, he and I talk and he gets 680 credit score conventional. Wow. And he Which are the easier we, ones? Yeah, the easier. So he and I are talking. <laughs> Um, yeah. we didn't mention names, but we knew we were talking about the same person. Mm -hmm. And he was like, yeah, they never send me FHA, but I want to try some to see if I can do it. And I'm like, I never get conventional. All of my stuff is hard. Help, help the credit repair. And I had that conversation and we hadn't worked together since. And I'm okay with it. Yeah. Um, because at some point, you know, if I'm, and I'm not necessarily that I was saving deals that he had, mm -hmm. it was just, mm -hmm. I was saving her deals. Right. Um, and then I wouldn't hear from her again until it was time to save another deal. Right. Um, we got one I, agent. She only yeah. sends me her down payment assistance stuff. And it's last minute. You call me nine o'clock at night. And, okay. um, you know, if if it's too much and I'm up front, mm -hmm. I said in this situation right now, some down payment assistance aren't worth it. Mm -hmm. And then I don't hear anything and I follow up the buyer. They don't call back. I follow <laughs> the agent and they don't call back and or they reach back out. And say, oh, yeah, they're under contract. The other lender, the down payment was too much. I told you that before you did the application that it's not. But you wanted to see and you you impeded on my time. So the last time she called, I didn't pick up. So what is your how are you creating boundaries around this? I mean. I've gotten better. Okay. <laughs> um, I've gotten like, better did, creating boundaries. So do they talk to you directly when they want to save a deal? Do you have an assistant? How do you manage all of this? They'll talk to me directly. Okay. Um, they'll talk to me directly. I'll go through the situation mm -hmm. uh, with them. I'll ask a ton of questions. And from there, I'll take some notes. Um, and I'll, you know, just having a conversation with them, I'll tell them if I potentially think I could do it or not. But of okay. course, 
I don't know until I pull credit because your score yeah. might not be what you said it was. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I, I get the full application. I look at everything on that piece. I have, now I have a team that goes through my applications. Um, if it's a, like the other night, the last minute, I'm not going to call them during their family time to do it. Mine mm -hmm. was in bed. So I went ahead and worked on it myself. Okay. Um, but I have a team that helps me. Um, and I couldn't do it without them. You know, it would, it would be a lot tougher. And that's one of the things that has helped me evolve and get some of my time back before mm -hmm. when I first started was just me which was probably cool. Right. Right. Um, in a sense, because I got to learn how every area, yeah, yeah, every area. Yeah. But wow. You just, some agents don't like it and that's cool. Yeah. We don't work together, you know? Okay. Yeah. So let me ask you this. Is there right now, cause now we're going to start talking about the market because there has been a decline. Well, the slowing of the home buying price process. Do you see your business has been, pretty consistent. Would this be a time not to become a lender? If someone was like listening to this, say, oh, okay, I'm so interested in this. I'm learning like the pros and cons through Kevin. But is this, is this the time considering the current market? I would say become a lender or realtor in this market because that's where you get your muscle from. Wow. That's where okay, you're going to you get mean? your skills you from. That. So you're in this market, you're going to learn skills skill set mm -hmm. um in this market even though companies are compressing and have less um yeah. opportunities in terms of closing deals you can get more training because everybody's not as super busy That's so good. if you can if you can learn your foundation in this market as a mm -hmm. lender or a realtor when the market turns and things pick up you'll be much better and you have a system in place from the jump. If That's you try good. to get your license during the pandemic, yes, mm -hmm. you close some deals, but now in this market, you're trying to figure out what do I do because it's not like last year or two right. years ago. So those are the people who are potentially getting out of the business mm -hmm. or um, not doing any business and hurting. That's a, that is great. That's That's a great answer. Because this is a time to definitely learn because when you're, when it gets hectic, which it will do eventually, <laughs> you're going to be so much in it. You cannot be on it and see right. like you're, you're <laughs> and then you will be in a situation like how you were, where you were just constantly just doing deals and deals and deals. And you're missing out on being present, personal time. You had no boundaries. This is the time to actually just create literally your business and create a foundation for your business. So when it does happen again, you can roll. I get it. I get it. So with lending, listening to this, it seems like it is a hard thing. Is this something that has to be a full-time job or can you do this part-time? Um, I think it has to be full-time. Okay. Uh, it, it has to be full. So I know a couple of people doing it part-time, mm -hmm. but they do one or two deals here and here and there, not even one or two deals a month. Because you have to have your staff or constant communication. Uh, if you have an issue, uh, depending on how your company's set up, you mm -hmm. need to be able to reach out to the help desk or deal desk or scenario desk or compliance or marketing for, uh, you know, for flyers or mm -hmm. um, to management. And if they're on the same time zone as you, then um, 
probably at five, no later than six, everybody gone. Or the mm -hmm. people that are still around are just waiting for those last couple of deals to fund and then they're going home. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, like you, you want to make sure. Right. It's tough. I don't know how yeah. you would do it part. I don't know how you do it part time yeah. um, as a I don't know how you do it part time because yeah. it's so much additional stuff that you need to know every deal isn't the same, mm -hmm. even if it's the same person. Like I'm working with a guy, uh, this would be our fourth transaction. Um, and this scenario is going to be different than the one I did a year ago. So like, and it's things that I have to look up because you don't always run into the same scenario, you know? Yeah. You could close a hundred deals and none of them be the same. Oh, this is so good. Okay. So Typically, and this is my last question on the, the career of being a lender, because <laughs> yeah, I really want to talk about the market. <laughs> but this is just so interesting because you have that the background of a realtor and a lender. So I'm really, really curious. I didn't even know you had a realtor's license. So now I'm just like, okay, what do you see is the difference? Okay, but the question that I have now with being a lender is like, if you were going to go into this career, how many, I guess, deals would you have to close or would that be the same term as a realtor like a realtor we close deals do you close deals as well on is that the terms that you guys use or the language yeah we close loans units okay. deals yeah okay so how many do you need to close i guess to make a a nice living per month that was the goal depends on where you work okay so example a broker uh, and for those listening, a broker is a company who can get your loan and they can shop it to different companies mm -hmm. to try to get a different rate. Um, they don't do the underwriting in-house. They may have some help with the processing. Um, they're compensated differently than if I was at a bank. Um, you know, if I'm at a bank, your local mom and pop bank, mm -hmm. I'm compensated a lot less. Okay. Um, on the deal, but the bank may have a better interest rate mm. because they're paying the loan officer less. Right. So it kind of depends on if you if you work at a bank, then you're going to have to do volume mm -hmm. to make a decent living, right? right? If you're a broker, you could do less deals and potentially make more money. Mm -hmm. And then as a correspondent lender or a direct lender like myself, um, you can do volume as well. So like the average lender may get one, um, one percent, mm -hmm. one bait. We call them basis points. You guys call yeah. them commit one percent. So one basis point. Um, so on a hundred thousand dollar deal, that's a thousand dollars. Right. So if it's a five hundred thousand dollar deal will be compensated five grand. Um, lenders have the ability to manage more deals at one time than a realtor. That's so what that's I'm thinking. That's where we make it up. Yep. We have right. the ability to manage more deals because you can yeah. only show so many houses to so many people without having a team. Right. Um, and then like once we, we leave, once we have the buyers, then they could be in the pre-approval stage and waiting mm -hmm. and we're working on contracts, exactly. but you guys are still showing the pre-approved buyers because they haven't found the house yet. Mm -hmm. So the system that we have in place as lenders allows for us to um, 
be able to manage more deals because they're in different processes. Right. So in essence, you're making more money as a lender than you are as a realtor. You can. So okay. I've, me personally, um, I've been more profitable as a lender. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That's what I was thinking. Cause you can just manage more because it's all systematic. Yeah. Yeah. And even though that, we're less, I'm, I know more millionaires People who make millions of dollars as lenders than mm-hmm. I do realtors. Yeah. Oh, this is good. This is good. Okay. <laughs> okay. See, now you're going to have me looking up. Okay. No, I got other stuff. I'm enough on my plate. I cannot Focus be a lender. <laughs> During COVID, I was so close to taking the class online. And I don't know why I talk myself out of it. Every time I see it, like, oh, you can be a lender. I kick myself because it's like, oh, you could have just took the, you know, took the test and got your license and just see if you wanted to do it or not. And I regret that. But no, I'm not going to do it. I might just do it just just to see what it's like to take the test and pass it. But no, it that's a lot of consistency. And it's, it takes a lot of attention to make those deals go through that I know I can't personally because it, it's a meticulous field. It's more meticulous than being a realtor. Am I correct? It is. It is. Because a yeah. lot of times the mistakes that... Um... A lot of times the mistakes that are made on contracts or addendums and amendments, we have to get you guys to correct. So like we're kind yeah. of your eyes and ears. Mm-hmm. Like if, if something comes over wrong, then we want to make sure it's worded properly, even though you legitimately right. wrote it to be right. Mm-hmm. It's just a certain way that the underwriter does not want to see it. Yeah. So we're the eyes between you guys and the underwriters. Um, and it could, you know, they could be on the fly and moving fast mm-hmm. and they label just small things as, you know, you send over the addendum and it says addendum two. Mm-hmm. Well, where was one? Oh, we thought we sent wow. it. Or the HOA documents. Oh, mm-hmm. it's a HOA. It's not nowhere on the contract. Those HOA documents. Now we've got to order the mm-hmm. HOA agreement from the attorney's office for the attorney's office. So that we can see what the buyer needs to pay. So like all of those things are are very important and we have to have them up front because mm-hmm. if not, we us as a lender and the attorneys only have a piece of what we need. This is a great conversation and it's, it's kind of bringing me full circle to this next question. I'm glad we're talking about the career of being a lender and the difference because I can't really remember a lot of lenders that are of color in this industry. How many African-American lenders are there out there? Do you know like a percentage? Cause I really, just, I, don't I, can't. The, I don't know the percentage. Uh-huh. I know um, it's a small number. It's a small number. Yeah. It's a small number. So, um, I was approached by a big company, um, for coaching. And they wanted me to be a part of their program that they have. And they were trying to sell me on how great the owners was. He's got a great mm-hmm. name, big, big to do. I asked him, I said, hey, if you can show me or do you have any African-American lenders that are having a level of success that I want to have? introduce me to them so I can hear about the program from their standpoint. Mm-hmm. Never Couldn't heard back it. from them. Wow. Nope. 
never heard back from. So another coaching program, um, another coaching program, same thing, except this guy, young guy, and we have fun, right? right? He's like, man, how do I ask that question without offending? I said, it's not an offensive question. You just need to find out who that person is because that's who I'm going to relate to. I said, John, it's easier for other people that don't look like me to do certain things and mimic mm-hmm. what they see. I ha- I don't know. I've never met anybody who makes a million dollars that's an African-American loan officer. Wow. So I need, and I'm in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. So I need to meet or talk to somebody. He found them. He found them for me. Really? Yeah, found me a gentleman out in Seattle, Washington, Tacoma, Washington. Okay. And I talked to him. Um, and he made a million bucks. So I joined the coaching program. Um, I had to stop the coaching program because it was so much work. And again, it's during mm-hmm. the pandemic, so I'm super busy with my right because of the rates. <laughs> yeah, because of the rates. But I'm also homeschooling my two sons. And one's oh. a kindergartner. So he had never That's been right. in school, school. So when yeah. when they say broke break, uh-huh. he broke. He was watching TV, but I was like, How long is your break? She said 10 <laughs> minutes. I was like, that was like a half hour ago, man. Get back in class. So I couldn't do the work. Mm-hmm. Um but I joined the program. I was able to talk to the guy. And yeah. outside of him, I probably know two others. Wow. Yep, two others that make a million dollars. Um, wow. In real, in, as a mortgage lender. Yeah. It's not a... Um, it's not a field that we get into. Mm-hmm. Um, so statistics. And we're, we're not in a... In real, as realtors, we're not high either no it's only six percent and one percent of that are men so the other five percent are women this is why i have this podcast why i put a light on real estate because this doesn't make any sense and i know it feels like it's a ton of black realtors out there it's not there's not a lot of course there's not a lot of black lenders out there while you were talking i'm trying to google it i can't find one definitive answer of how many black home lenders there are in the united states google no, doesn't even say I, what, why even bother looking for that you can't it's not worth even asking this question google can't even answer that so it must be like about one percent <laughs> so it's a small there percentage. is a need yes it seems like it's a ton of us in real estate it is not you guys I just want to put a light on these different fields and investing and home ownership. Uh, we're missing. We're missing. Like, I know I was looking at the statistics because I'm big on statistics. Like, the Hispanic population has doubled everything. Like, double the amount of realtors. Like, they have 13%. <laughs> like, it's only 6% of us. You know, and their home ownership, more than doubled than what we have. I mean... We really have to, I'm not saying quit your job and become a lender today, but get into some, know more about real estate and this asset, because this is how you, you, you have to build wealth with this. You cannot avoid this. 
So it's just even knowing more about what lenders do. If you're not buying a house and you need to buy a house, you understand what the lender is going to be doing to help you get a house because you're hearing Kevin, you know, explain this. But this is a really big deal about these statistics and how we are not showing up in this real estate presence. And it's essential right now. Yeah. So, yeah, I just had to get off that soapbox. Yeah. But (laughs) those are good points. I think that. As we grow our and to getting getting into real estate helps um, us become more homeowners. Mm-hmm. So the more black agents that get in, the more black lenders that get in, the more yes. black appraisers get in. I think that helps us grow our um, homeownership numbers, right? Right. Um, because let's let's face it. You know, it's still people who don't want us in their neighborhood. Don't talk about so, it. So <laughs> um, we we getting into it. And if you get into it and you're listening to this, listen to me. Run your real estate business as a business and not a hobby. Yeah. Run it as a business. Take it very seriously. Um and you can grow. You'll probably you have the ability to grow at a faster pace right now because when I got into real estate, there was no candles. There was no cabins. You see what I'm saying? Like it, opportunities, there was no podcast to listen to in the beginning to learn how to excel. There was no courses to learn how to excel. Right. You know, I, my broker told me call the phone, go through the phone book and call people. There were no mentors. Like no now mentors. you can reach out to Kevin and say, hey, Kevin, I'm starting my, I'm becoming a lender. What are the first steps? What do you advise? Now you have access to him, you know? Yeah. And even as me as well, even in this field of real estate that I'm in, you can now get access. Cause this, like you said, there was none of us there. We had to figure this thing out. Yeah, and now we this, did. and we still, you know, we just got to show up. That's really show it. Show up. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about this market and showing up in 2023. <laughs> I look at the news this morning and Yahoo has laid off 1,200 workers. And of course, right now it is the, what is it? The white, um, they had the term for it on CNBC. White collar. The white collar layoffs. That's it, what it yeah. is. And of course, Amazon, with Twitter, of course, Facebook, now Yahoo, they're laying off. And it's a lot of people. I've been talking to a friend of mine in Atlanta, my interior designer, and he was saying how they were building an Amazon building in the middle of Bankhead and they have stopped production. Mm. And I'm like, whoa, okay, is this a good thing? But it depends on what side of the field you are on in real estate. Because I see that as like a little hint of, of course, the Great Recession of 2008 with that pause in developing. (laughs) especially in Amazon. So I'm like, okay, wait a minute. Is something about to happen? Do investors need to get ready? But at the same time, this was an opportunity as well back in 2008 when the crash hit that a lot of buyers got amazing deals. So what exactly are you seeing on your end as a lender? So right now, um, a lot of people on the fence because of interest rates, right? Right. When I got in in 2004, interest rates were just hitting the sevens. 
And when they got in the sixes, oh, people thought they were stealing money. Interest rate six <laughs> percent. Shoot, I'm buying the house. Right. But because rates were so low for two years, mm-hmm. now you have people saying, I'm gonna wait until rates drop. And my thing was, well, rates were three and a half percent, three percent. What were you doing then? Well, the housing prices were too high. Contrary to what people believe and what they say, housing prices have not gone down because there's still a housing shortage. It is. Seven million. It's not going to be enough houses houses for the people that live here. (laughs) And you know how we got there? During 2008 to Uh probably 2012 or 13, builders stopped building. Yeah. So there they, was no they foreclosed. Yep, yeah. There was no new inventory. No, there wasn't. And now and then we also and this attests to your side of the business that you focus on. There are I think twelve to fifteen million vacant homes in the United States. Every corner. And Every they're corner. vacant because they weren't set up properly. Mm-hmm. So somebody inherited the property and they either can't make any money off of it because they didn't pay taxes. The municipality has been taking care of the grass right. or it's multiple heirs and nobody wants to pay for anything, but everybody wants the money. That's so it. we have to figure out how to close that gap. But yeah. to answer your question, what I'm seeing are I've probably I've gotten more leads in January and February than I did in November, December. So to me, that's telling me that people are starting to understand that this is what it's going to be. Okay. Okay. So they, you know, they're kind of like, think about it. So what are the rates currently right now? Rates are mid sixes. That's when not... they were approaching eights back in November. Uh huh. Do you predict that there's, it's going to get lower by third quarter, or late? Fall? I'm thinking. I'm thinking fall. Late, you're right. Late third quarter, beginning of fourth. Um, mm-hmm. Uncle Jerome, as I call him, Jerome Powell. Jerome in the house. <laughs> <laughs> Don't it sound like we're a talking to about Jerome Powell? <laughs> The, the head of the Fed, uh, Federal Reserve. Yep. So um, this is important, Candle. Let me say this. Yes. When the Fed raised rates, that does not have a direct correlation on mortgage interest rates. Really? That has a correlation on student loan rates, mm-hmm. car loans, personal loans, um, credit cards, and things as such, right? Mm-hmm. What has a bigger effect on interest rates is the inflation. Okay. So they're Ex- raising the that. rates. Because right so now they're raising. Okay. Go ahead. Yep, they're, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, 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 they're no. I'm raising... getting excited talking about this. Okay. But I'm going to let you talk. <laughs> You're the guest. <laughs> Go ahead. So the inflation, they're raising, they are raising interest rates mm-hmm. on those products to slow down the market, right? So they're increased to slow down the market. Slowing down the market 
helps slow down inflation Correct. because people are not buying and it has time to adjust the inflation rate uh-huh. because think about it if we were still at the same pace this year as we were this time in 2021 a two-bedroom mm-hmm. one bath in atlanta you know in certain parts of the country was been seven hundred thousand dollars right because people were still overbidding and rates were low right absolutely yeah so he's bringing down the cost because we're paying cost, too much yep. of like our, yep. our our goods even in the grocery store those the bag of chips should not be five dollars so what he's trying to do is to bring the cost down to what they really should be because everything has been overinflated everything's been overinflated so as the inflation rates decrease the fed doesn't have to raise the interest rates on other stuff as high because they're making an mm-hmm. adjustment. Got um, it. Now mortgages are backed there on the treasury bond. So if mm-hmm. T bills or treasury bonds are doing pretty well, then rates will do pretty well. So over the last, let's say rates right now are as low as they've been since September 2022, mm-hmm. right? Um, right. A few, di- few days ago, he came out and we realized that we lost more jobs than expected and inflation went up a little bit. So mm-hmm. guess what happened this week? Interest rates went up a little bit. Yeah. So they're going to... Um, they're going to raise the Fed's going to raise the rates a little bit more as they go mm-hmm. along to try to balance it out. The goal is to be at 2% inflation. Right. Because we're currently at eight. Eight. Yep. And he's going to keep those rates high until he can get it back down to that two. Take back down to the two. Um, yeah. And so- uh, many, I guess, experts or analysts think with him doing these rates, that has put us into a recession. Right. Do you think a that we're in recession? recession. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's the first I've heard of that. A white collar recession. That, so that's you... what they call a white collar recession. Okay. So you think we're in recession right now? I think we're in something. Um, <laughs> we're a pre recession. We're right in now. something. We're in a recession. Uh-huh. Um, a recession typically happens every 10 years. Right. Our last one was 15 years ago. So we're in something. Yeah. People and people are making adjustments like Mm -hmm. Yahoo. um, Correct. Yeah. People losing jobs. Facebook, Amazon. Facebook. Yeah. Amazon. They're preparing. Yep. I mean, Wells Fargo is getting out of the correspondent business for mortgages. Yeah. Um, Places like Flagstar are adjusting how they do their mortgages. Mortgage companies are being brought out and and coming together. Um, like our company in general, a lot of mm-hmm. mortgage companies uh, laid off a lot of people because we had, um, because of low rates, there was a ton of refinances. Of course. So you had to staff for the refinances and then you have the purchases. Mm-hmm. Purchases. So now that the refinances have gone away, and then the purchases have slowed, you had to let staff go. Of course. Um, so people are making adjustments. 
um, if we continue to raise the rates and the Fed, Federal Reserve mm -hmm. do what they're supposed to do, we may be out of the recession. Um, you know, we may be out of recession by the end of the year. Okay. But in recessions is when the most millionaires are made. When everybody's getting scared, it's those investors that are jumping in. Yeah. Yeah. That is it because they're seeing the opportunities. No one's touching the houses. No one's trying to buy. So this is when they jump in and they solve a problem. Right. So yeah, you're exactly right. You are right. I think, um, I don't know. I get excited around this type of stuff <laughs> because I'm on the investor side. So it's like, no, this is not the time to be sitting on the sideline because if you were, because I felt not saying I felt bad. There were investors that got amazing deals back when the rates were, of course, 3%. But as I always explain to buyers or investors about these rates, it's like when you get those rates at that 3%, you're paying an exorbitant amount of money because you're having to compete with a large pool of people that also have that approval at 3% as well. So that means that you're competing and you're coming in at a higher price. And then that seller is going to take the highest offer that it's out there. So you're paying thousands of dollars more. Like in Atlanta, we were seeing people paying $30,000 more than what the house was worth out of pocket. That did not make any sense because eventually the values are going to come back down and then you're upside down for a number of years. And that just doesn't make any sense. Whereas if you're getting this house right now, even with the rates being at this 6%, you're still getting it at a, a price that is realistic and more at what the value, the true value of the house is. And then you can just turn around and refinance later. So you're winning if you're buying now than if you were deciding to wait. I'm going to wait until it gets back to 3 or 4%. That's crazy. So, Everybody yeah. be off the fence. Yeah. And so all those people that are waiting. And then, like you said, it goes back. Um if people ask me all the time, when's the best time to buy? Right. And it's when you can afford to. When you can afford because to. Because if there's a crash, what if you don't have a job? Yes. You can't yeah. buy. You can't right? buy. Mm -hmm. you, and if everybody jumps off if everybody jumps off the fence and get back into the market and we start seeing higher pricing, two things are gonna happen. You're going to have multiple offer situations, so competition is higher. Yeah. And now the seller doesn't have to help with closing costs. And in some cases right now, even though prices are staying the same, they're like, okay, I can help some because I need uh, to get to my next deal. That's a great point about those closing costs because you're paying about, what, 5000 It's what, 5%? Is it 5% now of the sales price for closing costs or is it around? It's three, Depending on where you five? are. Okay. Yeah, it depends on where you are. And That's I, a great I point. say that because in you know, in South Carolina, mm -hmm. because taxes are higher there, you know, you're paying more than if you were in Delaware, North Carolina, yeah. Maryland, you know, um, or if you're in Florida. I mean closing <laughs> costs is higher because taxes right. are high and insurance is high. Right. That is a great point that you will be paying your closing costs out of pocket if you decide to wait for that three percent to come back around again. Whereas right now you can ask for seller concessions such as closing costs. You can ask for um a home warranty for a year. You can ask to get, oh my gosh, my favorite amendment to address concerns where the seller has to go in and fix everything that is wrong. Whereas this, <laughs> that last market at 3%, I, 
there was literally sellers saying, we're not touching nothing. No. I did it. Who am I talking about sellers? I was one of them. <laughs> I'm not touching nothing. I know I can get offers on this thing as selling it as is at the price that I want. And I did. And there were many other sellers that were out there doing the same thing. Whereas now, if I were to try to list one of my properties, I would have to address these concerns because I want the house sold. And the buyers have the right to now ask for this. So I guess in a sense, this has become in a, in a way, depends on your area, a buyer's market because you can get these concessions right now because there's not that many people looking. The pool is not that big. Right. So, you know, jump if you can now. You know, yeah. I, I call it the perfect storm. You've got lower interest rates than they were a few months ago. Uh-huh. But now sellers are willing to help with the buy downs. They're willing to give sellers concessions to help you save some money out of pocket. OK, you buy right now. Let's say you get a six and a half percent interest rate, but you get a house at a decent price. The seller paid some. Guess what you can do? You can refinance, do rate and term and get a lower interest rate when rates come down. But if you wait until rates come down, you're going to pay more for the house and you're already paying a mortgage because you're paying rent. I don't care if you live in an apartment, you're paying somebody's mortgage. The only way you're not paying a mortgage is if you're living with somebody and you're paying something. You're not living scot-free. So <laughs> I, I, I'm not. You're right. And I'm laughing because it was a joke that me and another friend of mine, that's an investor, we were saying that, yeah, they say they don't want to pay 6%. I said, well, you paying my property that has a 6% rate on it. So you still yep. paying 6%. 6%. Yep. Yep. We tell so you clients, might as well just said, go ahead and get you... your own property with 6%. I was like, how much do you pay in rent? $1,500. Well, you're paying 1,500% interest rate. Why do you say that? Because you get no benefits Mm-mm. from anywhere. You walk away, you're you constantly get paying. Constantly paying it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> perspective, though, it's it's perspective. You yeah. know, you you have people listening to their uncles and aunts and people who don't have houses or lost houses. Um, everybody's situation is different, you right? Know? Um, their situations are different, and you should at least do yourself a service to see if you can become a homeowner. Even a Grant Cardone, he's telling people, "Oh, don't buy a house, don't buy a house." Meanwhile. He's buying you want them to take. Yeah, I think they say building the eight million dollar house or something like he's that. He's got tons of. And, Go ahead. <laughs> and then he's got billions in mm-hmm. mortgages. He wants to rent from. He wants you to rent from him. And I listen right. to Grant. Don't get me wrong, but their fight for their fight for wealth and ours are different. Completely different. Completely, Completely. different. Completely. Um, and yeah. don't, you know, I'm not saying don't listen to everything he says because he does give some great information. Mm-hmm. Buy that house be, because for us, that's where the general generational wealth could start. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's even down to uh, I'm picturing his face, but I cannot think of his name right now. The um, Dave Ramsey. Kiyosaki? Oh, no, Dave Ramsey. Kiyosaki's my boo. Now, I love me some Kiyosaki. <laughs> but no, Dave Ramsey, I love his uh, The Money Makeover. I recommend that to anybody that's having an issue with budgeting, but his take on buying your first house, I completely disagree with because he's not about, I'm not saying he's not about home ownership. My interpretation is that he's about, you need to have so many thousands of dollars saved and you need to be completely hundred percent debt free before you buy a house. I disagree with that because you're making us landlords rich by going by this theory. 
you can still own a house and have debt. I mean, that that does not make sense. He has debt, even though he claims he doesn't. It's I don't know. I just think in some of these instances, in our case, like you said, for us, it keeps us poor accepting some of these theories that they have because they're millionaires, multimillionaires off of the language that they're putting out to us, but it's still keeping us comfortable and not making any moves to owning any asset whatsoever, which one is real estate. Right. Yep. You're right. Yeah. Yeah, So, yeah, I could talk about that. That, yeah, Grant Cordon, when I see him, I just, I just scroll by (laughs) because I just don't agree with it, especially in our community, but that's a whole different conversation because I know he's targeting us now. And I just think that's kind of interesting. Like, oh, you never looked at our community, but here you are on certain platforms talking to us. But if you wanted to take your, the course, it's thousands of dollars. But yet we don't own. That's the problem. Right. But you own probably close to billions of real estate. And he'll talk about it. So, yeah, I have a, yeah, I'm with you on that one. Yeah, he does. And he, <laughs> um, he own, has some stock. And ownership now for and exp i believe it so i believe it i mean i i what he says makes some sense mm-hmm. but for us it's a different fight it's different it's different different fight no i mean this is why i'm big on like this type of platform your platform earn your leisure because this is for us like, even though we may not be as big as the Grant Cardones, but we're speaking to our community about what could be working for us so that we can get where we want to be in those positions. Because listening to them, it's just not getting us anywhere. My opinion. Right. It's not. <laughs> it's not. <clears throat> it's yeah. Not. That's, that's the first sign is we, you know, Home ownership, man. It's, it's, I'm a that there. You can do yeah. so much with it. You can do, like, I know some of my counterparts. <clears throat> when I got into real estate, I was never exposed to that stuff. So some of them purchased homes for their kids when they were kids. So yeah. when they got to college, they could either use, refinance or sell the house to get the money to pay for their college mm-hmm. if they didn't get scholarships or it could be their rental property um yeah. i've seen people buy houses in the college town for their kids their kids stay there rent rooms out to other people and they had another kid coming to that college so they were able to rinse and repeat that yeah. saved them so much money so like yeah. they game plan that re- they utilize that real estate to help them. So then when they get out of school, they don't have any debt. Yeah. They yeah. don't have student loans like, you know, we have. Um, so, it you know, it creates opportunity. And then when they graduate from college or the second mm-hmm. kid graduate from college, you got an option. You can continue to do it because now it's known as student housing. Exactly. And you know the game or. Yeah. It's appreciated and you can sell it and make your money and then yeah. sell. So it's so many opportunities. Yeah. Um, it's so, what so packages many opportunities in there. right now as a lender, like what packages are out there for real estate investors that you see? You're like, um, this because that was a great strategy you just gave. So, how to make that happen? Because I'm a big advocate of student housing. You know that, especially at the HBCUs. I have yep. a lot of parents that reach out and say, Hey, my kid's going to this place. I want to do it. I'm like, Okay, let's start looking. Let's 
create a strategy, a game plan. So what packages, because you know I'm big on financing instead of paying out of pocket. What what would what package are out is uh, what packages are out there that could help them with that strategy that you just gave with even just student housing? Because I love that. And that is the most lucrative strategy out there besides Airbnb, but right. So you have something called uh, investor cash flow. Um, okay. Let's say the parent makes a certain amount of money. However, um, they don't show it. Or let's not even say parents. Let's say investors. Most mm-hmm. people take on their taxes. They write off everything so they don't have to pay the IRS. So there are some investors who don't show any type of income on their taxes, but they have the credit score and they have the down payment to buy a house. So there's something called DSCR. Debt, debt service, service coverage, coverage ratio. ratio. <laughs> yeah. So what that is, is you basically are qualifying using your credit score and the fact that you have 20%. And then you also are looking to go off of the cash flow of the house. Mm-hmm. So if you said, hey, Kevin, the house can qualify. I can rent it out for $1,500 a month. Let's say you check all the boxes with six months reserves, 20% down payment and 660 680 credit score boom we've got those straight now we have to order an appraisal for the house to see and we order something called a 1007 and the 1007 gives us uh market rents so -hmm. if the market rents come back uh at fifteen hundred dollars and let's say the mortgage is fourteen hundred dollars then you're good to go because they're going off of will this house cash flow let's say the market rents come back at 1400 and the mortgage is 1500 you just put down an additional five percent and then you can purchase so market rents you can be creative and then Mm -hmm. so i say you can be creative because you can utilize it for monthly rents and we're going to go off the monthly rent but people are also using this product to get into short-term rentals and student housing. Yeah. Because even though it says $1,500 a month, mm-hmm. you could rent out rooms to college students and be charging $500 a month. And if it's a four yeah. bedroom, that's two grand. See the yeah. market analysis doesn't see the student housing. You see what I'm saying? So yeah. you can be creative and create more income um, using that. So people um, 20% down, 660 credit score and the house, you know, the house, it has to be able to rent for somewhere close to where the mortgage is. Um, That's one strategy. Mm -hmm. Um, The tried and true strategy is, you know, multifamily. Um, You know, if you're a first time home buyer, buy one unit and rent out the other two, three, one unit and make income that way. You can get up to four units and it's still considered a residential and you can get a residential mortgage. Yes. Okay. Yeah. With FHA with a three and a half percent down payment Mm -hmm. Um, in this market, the seller might be able to give you some closing costs. So you're coming out of less out of pocket. Um, If you're a veteran, this is called house hacking, house hacking. Yep. (laughs) Veteran, you can do similar things. You could buy a one to four unit. Um, the catch too with the veteran mm-hmm. piece with multi-housing that people doesn't don't talk about, they want to see that you have some experience with 
property management mm-hmm. or uh, managing a property. And if not, a way around it is to get a property manager. Right. They, they just want to make sure you don't put yourself in a position to where um, you can't manage the money. And me, mm-hmm. this hack, and I don't hear anybody. If I brought a one to four unit, I'd still be considered a tenant myself. I don't want the people living in the house to know that I own the property. So I'm a tenant just like them, the property manager. I got, I got, you know what I mean? I don't want them knocking on my door. Hey, my toilet mm-hmm. stopped up. I got a question. Like, <laughs> all right. So I want you to uh, break down this myth that we have about the LLCs and us being investors. Now, this is the perfect scenario when you're talking about this multi-unit and great reason. You just said you don't want the tenants to know that you are actually the owner because they'll take advantage of it. They'll see you differently. Can we, even though we have a mortgage, can we go ahead and put that property into an LLC? Or is there the, it, I used to hear this, this myth. I think I learned about it in real estate school, that if the lender were to find out that we created the LLC, that you guys could accelerate the mortgage and have it due immediately. Is that true? That's true. So how can we avoid that? Because like, let's just say our tenants and our multi-unit, let's give a scenario. We got a multi-unit. We got four units. We got a quad. I'm living in one. And let's just say one of the tenants is extra nosy. And they just happen to just Google the address. And or let's say they went to Q Public to see who owns the property. And I have it in an LLC to prevent them from knowing that it's me. Could, I mean, how can I do that? Because I wouldn't want them to say, well, Candle Lockett, I knew she was the owner. I ain't been, how she think? We already know how the conversation is going to go. So we have issues already. Mm. And I want to avoid that. So how can I do that? Like remain um, anonymous and still be the anonymous. owner of a quad. Yeah. So with the D, if you're the primary owner, you could potentially get it. You would have to talk, seek legal advice, right? Okay. But I've seen where people have, um, they have done it after closing. Mm-hmm. Typically, I'm a mortgage company isn't gonna accelerate anything until they start missing payments. Got it. Okay. Because on their end, <laughs> if, good to know. if Candle Locket is still making the payment, we don't care. And yeah, they don't. They <laughs> okay. Don't care. Candle okay. Locket don't have to be making the payment. Kevin Jefferson could be making a payment for <laughs> Candle Locket if it's a subject too. You see what right. I'm saying? They don't as long care. as they're getting paid and they interest, don't care. Like that, yeah. But for that question to protect mm-hmm. my license, I would, I got I would talk to an attorney. That's a great answer. And seek <laughs> an attorney who is a part of yep. your team to make sure that you don't have that problem. If you are in this situation or I've sparked something and you're thinking about getting a multi-unit, um, especially with this park, this package right now that Kevin is talking about in this market. But of course, you do want to remain anonymous, especially if you plan to. Well, you have to live in the property. That is fraud, correct? You've got correct. to occupy the property if you're getting at least a loan for one year. For at least for one year, so you have to occupy it. But if you want to remain anonymous from your tenants, knowing that you're the actual owner and you'll be receiving their rental in- rental income, talk to an attorney about how you can avoid that and uh, somehow become anonymous when it comes to records or on Google about who actually owns the property. If you don't want to be the one. That's being uh, shown up. <laughs> so, wow, this has been so good. Okay, so have I missed anything with this market? Is there anything that uh, buyers or investors should be knowing or be expecting um, in 2023? Um, I think buyers need to um, 
realistically prepare. Um, if you're looking to purchase a home and you uh, want a four five hundred thousand dollar house, you have to be prepared to for pay four or five hundred thousand dollar mortgage payment, right? Mm-hmm. It's not like when you go get a car and you know the car payment seven fifty for you know 60 months but they can bring it down monthly because they can extend it out to 72 or 84 months when they give you that mortgage on 30-year note it's no expanding it out right Mm -hmm. so you know when you pay a mortgage payment you've got principal interest mortgage insurance if you put down less than 20 percent taxes and insurance Mm -hmm. those are the five components of the mortgage payment so if you go on Zillow and you put in $400,000 house and they say, oh, the payment's $2,100, that's because taxes and insurance and HOAs are not included in that, and neither is mortgage mm. insurance. So you should be realistic in what you want to pay. Mm-hmm. Um, a $400,000 house's mortgage is going to be different than $2,500. If $2,500 is your, your ceiling, you're not going to get a $400,000 house. Mm-hmm. Um, don't be don't be afraid to collaborate and move in with family members. Generational housing, because think about it. If you're paying fifteen hundred, mm-hmm. your mom's paying fifteen hundred, and let's say your grandma's paying a thousand, that's four thousand dollars in rent that you guys are paying. Wow, this is Most good. of the time, you're together, especially yeah. if you're in the same town. Mm-hmm. $4,000 will get you a big enough house to where everybody should be able to have their own space. So how does that work now to get a house, to have your own space? And let's just say you need a four bedroom, but that may cost about maybe what, 300 $350,000, but it might be only one person that can qualify for the loan. So how, maybe I'm missing something. How can we make that work? Or can multiple people get on the loan? How can we make this happen so that they can get home ownership? You can have multiple people on the loan. Okay. So let's say, um, let's say mom and grandma get on the loan. Mm-hmm. I say that because mom is probably a little bit more seasoned to where her debts are eh, pretty low, right? Right. My mom ain't got no debt. Mm-hmm. She get a social security card. She probably don't have no car payment. She probably don't have a bunch of car uh, credit cards. So she's going to have a low debt to income ratio. And she has the fixed income that's coming in every she single month. She has a fixed income, yep. yeah. So that can be utilized as well. Right. Okay. Um. So you could put those two on a loan mm-hmm. and see how much they qualify for. That doesn't mean that you can't live in that house and contribute. Mm. Because a husband and wife may not get on a loan together because one, you don't qualify as much because one has more debt. But that doesn't mean the husband can't come in or the wife can't come in and contribute and pay their portion of the rent. Or let's say all three of you are in position. All three of you can have ownership on that property. Okay. So um, 
it doesn't matter. It can be three, four, five people. You can own it. If it takes five people to get what you need and all of you help qualify, that's what it is. Wow. Because we don't yeah. have these conversations and I'm glad we're talking about this because typically it's, we, of course, we want to move in our mother, our grandmother, but it's never, let's put them on the loan too. You know, right. but, but you can do this. It's not unheard of because even though they may not be currently working, they get the checks coming in that can contribute to qualifying. Yeah. Contribute to qualify. Let me give you a hack. Okay. What they call hacks. In these situations, let's say, and I'll use you for example, Candle. Mm-hmm. Let's say you're the only one that can be on the loan because you have the income and the credit. Right. And the money, right? When you collect rent from mom and grandmom, carry it on your taxes. Mm-hmm. When you carry when they pay bills, let's charge them a certain amount of money to live with you. Carry that on your taxes, carry it as border income. So when you look to buy an investment property, that helps you have more income than that's your job because it's just like having rental income. Does it have to be for like two years or can it just be that one year and it can be taken? It can be for one year. They just want to okay. see that you carry that income on your taxes. That's good. Border so it's, it's considered border income. Yep. That's really good. I've never heard of that before. Yep. Border income. Because people do it all the time now. Mm-hmm. They just don't carry it on their taxes. So you exactly. can't utilize it. Yep. You can't utilize yeah. it. Yeah. Oh, that is good. Okay. That's it right there. I don't know. <laughs> How did that, that right there has me thinking of so many people that I want to call right now. Like, listen, y'all can stop renting because now this is another opportunity where you can actually own a house. Because I think that has been also a conversation that has not been had in our community about getting around that situation because there's lots of people that are renting and they think it is cheaper because they have to move in certain family members to rent because that's all they can afford because they're not having to qualify for a loan and they think they can't. But now this right here. Yeah. I like that. Think about it. Our our Hispanic and Latino brothers and sisters do it all the time. And that allows for them to save money. They live in the space and then they're able to move out and be able to buy because they now have money saved up and they have everything they need yeah. and they rinse and repeat. Over and over again. Over and over again. Yeah. Yeah. And then another thing too, um, I want to bring up this because this is another conversation that's not being said a lot. And I, I can give a testament to this, that I was in the situation, but when I was a realtor, one issue that I would have, of course, would be down payment assistance um, because my buyers would not have enough money for down payment. Then I would also mention, well, hey, you can get gifted. And then they would be like, oh, I don't have a family member that wants to give me money. I'm on my own 100 percent. And I'm thinking, what is why is that not a conversation among us, because of course everybody talks about when you go to house hunt, you go to what is that show on um, House Hunters on HGTV? <laughs> <laughs> They'll say like, "Yeah, we're newlyweds and we just got out of college, and our parents are gifting us twenty five thousand dollars for our down payment." And it's like, why can't we have this more conversation about this? So, could you explain that opportunity with gifting? So it's something that even if um, a, a college student right out of college, 
you know, they can get a house, but they may say, well, I don't have enough down payment. Your parents, family members can help you through a term called gifting. Because this is how House Hunters does it all the time. We just don't talk about it. So how does gifting work? So the way gifting works is, let's say, you know, that college student is looking to purchase a home. Um, He or she is in a location where they don't qualify for down payment assistance. Um, Matter of fact, let me let's say they do qualify for down Mm -hmm. payment assistance, but they don't have any money for closing costs that can be gifted to them if the seller doesn't pay. Right. Right. So let's say mom, let's say mom and dad say, we'll give you five grand. We get a gift letter that we provide to you. We have mom and dad sign it with your relationship to them. Mm -hmm. You sign it. It has to have your bank number on there, full bank number in the bank. And it essentially says that I am gifting $5,000 to John um, and he doesn't have to return it to us. It's a gift. Wow. Can this be anybody or does it have to be just like immediate family members? I'm going to get to that part. Okay, go ahead. (laughs) So um, then we'll also, along with that letter, we will get a 30-day bank statement showing that mom and dad has those funds. Okay. Right. Now... John is about to get married mm-hmm. and Chrissy, his fiance, can't be on the loan, but she wants to gift him money. Okay. That's a close relationship. Mm-hmm. That's another person who can gift it to you. Okay. How do you document the close relationship? That's what the I was going to be my next question. <laughs> the scenarios that I have had in that situation is they've been on a lease together before. And you have to provide the lease agreement? Provided the lease agreement. Because they're probably still in that lease together. Okay. Right? Then uh-huh. the wedding ring, the engagement ring. Document so, that you... So okay. that's a way to prove that you're engaged. If you're engaged, that's the step below being married. But okay, so what if it's like um, your godchildren? Can you do that? You have to sh- prove the relationship. Okay. And when I say you have to prove. <laughs> How do you prove listen, that though? Pictures of you with your godchild when okay. they was a baby. Okay. Okay. Um, pictures of you with your godchild at their graduation. Like those relationships, you know, just okay. proving that there's a, there's so, a, a relationship. relationship. Okay. Yep, okay. Relationship. I'm thinking it had to be some type of legal document. Like who does that? <laughs> if you're a godmother. Godfather, okay. Yeah. Okay, yeah. that makes sense. So this can even go for, so that can even go for like non-committal relationships, right? Just has to yep. show pictures of them the together. Wow, through a picture, yep. you can be a gifter. Yeah, of course, someone. some letter, ex, some explanation, right? But you have just proven, you know, prove that you have a relationship with that person. Yeah. Um, and again, it can be that can be used for down payment and closing calls. Um, so in some, some situations uh-huh. like this market here, uh-huh. if you get down payment assistance, if uh-huh. you qualify, or if you have the down payment and the seller's willing to give a little for closing costs, and then uh-huh. your parents can gift it, gift you the rest, Ooh. you're coming out of pocket with minimal. That's good. Right. So That's it's, good. there's more, op, there's opportunities 
for you. Um, you just have to be creative mm-hmm. um, and have a loan officer and a realtor team who have experience and knowledgeable to help you navigate. The realtor's key and integral mm-hmm. in helping negotiate for the closing costs, right? Right. Mm-hmm. I'm integral in seeing how we can get gifts and who we can get them from to let you know how much we need, right? Right. Um, I've even went as far as to say, change your deductions on mm-hmm. your pay so you can get more income in and pay in less in taxes so you can get the closing and then change it. That's good. Yeah. That's good. Oh, wow. Now I see why you are the what captain save a deal. <laughs> <laughs> I can see it. I can see yeah. it because you have a ton of information that nobody else really talks about. Or maybe even knows about, honestly, because I've never even heard of border income. That's the first. But I knew it was going to be some strategy, especially in the Hispanic community, of how they're able to buy with other family members. But now this makes sense because I was like, what are they knowing that we don't know or we don't talk about? Yeah, That's the game changer. It's important to carry that stuff on your your taxes. Yeah. Because, you know... At the rate of inflation, mm-hmm. housing prices going up, and your income not going up as much, if you carry that border tax, I mean that border income, and your income hasn't went up, but you have people contributing to paying the current mortgage that you have, and you want to buy good. a bigger house, that helps you show more income. Heck yeah, that is a, the game changer right there. I mean, I'm just thinking of how many people I know that have family members living with them, but they've never thought to add that to their taxes. Yeah. yeah. One more, Ken. I got one more for okay, you. Okay, let's one go for, for you, it. I'm sorry. You're on a roll. Keep going. You can purchase a property. Let's talk. Uh, purchase a property using mm-hmm. FHA 203K, right? Yeah. A renovation loan. Yeah. Right? It's not an easy loan, mm-hmm. but it's a loan that can help you. Important part if you want, if you can't find a multifamily property, mm-hmm. That but you want family to move in and have their own space, you can do something called ADU. Accessory ADU? dwelling yeah, unit. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. You can finish, you can use the 203K to add the ADU. Oh my gosh, now I'm making the connection. Are you serious? Yep. For and a family places member. like yep, for a family member. So I, in in towns now in cities municipalities they're allowing for those ADUs because they know there's a housing shortage. Okay, so let's back up for those that missed this because I I'm on cloud nine right now. What he is saying is that okay, there is a loan out there for 203k loan, which is typically what home buyers would use if they wanted to buy a property that needed improvements. And of course, they have they get it at a discounted price. And as they go in there and make the improvements, the loan that they're getting is going to also pay for the property itself and also pay for the rehab, which was going to be your material and labor to get the improvements done to the property. And of course, increase the value of it. Well, he's also saying, too, is you can get this 203K loan to also build an ADU. Now, if you're wondering what an ADU, ADU is, Google it and you will see pictures of ADUs, an accessory dwelling unit that's outside of the current property that you're buying. It is like a, you could think of something like a pool house, but you don't have the pool. It has the bathroom, it has the bedrooms, it's complete total privacy, and it is separate. It's a totally separate unit from the house that you're buying. And you can actually use that loan to build the ADU 
for another family member. Oh man, that's good. And you're only paying one mortgage. So you got one two mortgage. units. Finish off the garage. <laughs> yep. Finish off the garage. Oh my gosh. Um, you know, it's an it's an opportunity to just yeah. and then again, that money from that unit carry on your taxes to as border income. That way, when you mm-hmm. go to try to buy another property, you're showing more income. Yeah. You're also showing that you have a history of managing a property. So it just opens up. A lot of times we want to get the extra income, but not provide it. And it can right. be helpful to us. This was so good. That one was, yeah. Thank you for sharing that one. You got another one? I had to. (laughs) (laughs) That was, I didn't know that existed because I talk about those loans all the time, but that's, you can put two units. I mean, you, I mean, not put two units. You have one, but you can add another under one loan. Yep. Okay. So are there any limits to, can we turn that into an investment property or does it have to be a family member that moves into that ADU? Doesn't have to be a family member. It can be used as a dwelling in order to to lease out for additional. It doesn't have to be family. That's how you become a real estate investor right there. Yep. It's a, it's a way to start because um, essentially it's kind of like having a duplex. So if the municipality will allow for you to have that additional dwelling on your property, That's key. you're within compliance and Correct. then you can rent it out and make income, carry it on your uh, taxes to show as income. And then when you're looking for your next property, now you have more because you're offsetting the mortgage. So you're saving twice. You're offsetting the mortgage by getting more money. So you're not paying your full mortgage Mm -hmm. because you've got somebody else helping pay. And then when you're looking for an investment property, Mm -hmm. you have additional income coming in besides your paycheck. So this is how you can be a first time home buyer and a real estate investor at the same time. Yes. I have future in my head now at the same damn time. Just playing. It's <laughs> <laughs> lit right now. That's the game changer right there. But, the, but what you said that was key. You have to make sure that you can do this with the city that you are trying to purchase in. Because if there's right. no permit for this, you cannot do it. Because I know right. I was trying to do it to one of my properties. And they were like, no, you can't do it. But then I bought in another area where it was grandfathered in and I can do it. But that's a big deal right there. Yeah. Oh man, that's good. Thank you for sharing that one. Okay, you got any more? Let's keep going. <laughs> I got plenty, but you know, I we'll know. have to do a part two soon. We do, we do, we definitely do. Well, I thank you for coming on. Um, this has been an amazing conversation. We've talked about everything from, of course, becoming a lender, a career, and um, the difference between the realtor and the lender, which was a great conversation. And then, of course, this market, and then these hacks. Incredible conversation. Yes, you are welcome back. And uh, mm-hmm. golly, <laughs> I don't want to end it, but we're already at 90 minutes. And so you're going to have to come back. We got to talk about this some more, uh, probably what next quarter and talk about the current market and see how Let's everything do is doing. Yeah, because this was a great conversation. So I thank you for being a light. Thank you for being on the podcast. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to the next conversation when you come back. <laughs> And I have so many ideas in my head that we'll have to talk about off uh, off these mics um, because this was an incredible conversation. We've got to continue this in other ways. But um, that is it for you guys. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Uh, of course, send me some comments um, on this episode, other episodes, subscribe, share with others. And that is it. 
So uh, say, what did I used to say? It's been a year since I have been on my podcast. I think I would say, end it with stay lit, stay sane, stay sane, stay safe, and stay lit. That's it. That's it. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) It's still the same. And I was saying that at the beginning of COVID. Like, of course, because all the chaos, like stay sane, stay safe, because we didn't want anybody getting sick. And then stay lit. So, yeah, and it's still kind of, even though we're kind of out of COVID, it still exists today. So, yeah, stay safe, stay sane, and stay lit. That's it, you guys. <laughs>